Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic related topics and social issues. So today I wanted to talk a bit about abortion, common arguments for it, and hopefully get you all to reconsider, to think, to reflect on this issue more deeply as is always the goal of the podcast. So as I'm recording this, then Roe v. Wade was overturned yesterday. And basically what that means is that each state will get to decide its level of abortion restrictions, abortion access, etc. And it is no longer going to be a protected right according to the federal law. And, um, you know, the, the decision is very technical. Of course, it's easy for those who are against it to say it's anti, it's about being anti-women and et cetera, et cetera. But the decision was very technical because it's a matter of, is it a constitutional right to have an abortion? And I'm not even going to attempt to explain or fully understand how they came about that ruling, but I think it's important that we that we keep that in mind. This isn't a moral decision by the court. This is about, is this a constitutional right? That's the job of the Supreme Court, as I understand it. Nevertheless, the ruling, um, this Roe v. Wade being overturned, it means that women do not have the right nationwide to have an abortion. It will depend on your state, which will most likely just be split into red and blue, right? So the Republicans will probably, Republican states will probably have stricter laws and the democratic states will probably have um more accessible laws when it comes to abortion less restrictions and that was kind of already happening there was a documentary i think it was on netflix that i watched this this was quite a while ago where forgive there's a little noise in the background i think it'll go in a moment where it was about abortion, but they highlighted that Republicans have been sort of chipping away at the abortion right for quite some time with with various laws to make it more strict. I think there was a law where the mother would have to see her um, unborn baby, the the sonogram. I think there they created laws where you would have to get some kind of uh, counseling before you could get an abortion restricting the age of abortion, restricting when one could get an abortion. Um, uh, yeah, and, and some other restrictions. So they had been chipping away at this for a while. Um, I think Alabama had the... Yeah, some, either Alabama or Missouri, I think, had some of the strictest some of the most restrictive abortion laws um, in the country. So now 
essentially that will just be allowed to happen further. So likely if you live in California or New York, those places will probably have um, extremely liberal laws surrounding abortion. If you live in Alabama, Missouri, then those states now have the right to not allow abortion at all. So I want to start first by asking myself and you all, uh, well, first, before I do that, I, I would ask and, and, you know, you can think about, would you say that you lean more towards pro-life or pro-choice? I know that is a very um, restrictive way of thinking about this issue but at a certain point it it has to boil down to those two options of do we want abortion to be more accessible or less accessible more restrictive or more liberal more are are you pro-life or pro-choice And the issue is a complicated one for me. I've always been on the side of pro-life, even when I was this sort of default Democrat. Growing up, I was always on the side of pro-life. I would watch these arguments between pro-life and um, pro-choice and always felt on the side of pro-life, always felt that the pro-choice side was... um, manipulative in a lot of ways. Uh, One of the big ways which we're going to discuss is by talking about utilizing and appealing to people's sympathy by highlighting those who are victims of rape and molestation and winning people over to their side with that. Also by forming it as a women's right and by essentially convincing women that they needed to have this right in order to be successful in the 21st century. And sadly, I think we can either say creating a world in which that is essentially true or um, not being willing to change the world and rather bend to it so that that becomes true. And on the pro-life side, even though it felt extreme that they might say no, no exceptions. I actually remember, goodness, what's her name? She kind of became a bit of a, well, I won't say, but a Sarah Palin. (laughs) This is like years ago. I think this was Obama's first race when John McCain was running against him and he had Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin. I believe it's her name, as his running mate. And that question was asked. And I think she had a quote-unquote extreme position that, no, even in the case of molestation and rape, then the woman should still not be allowed to have um, an abortion. So, as I mentioned, I've always been pro-life and there was a question to me as to how far you take that and I'm really grateful that 
a couple years back, Yakin put out a research paper that detailed the Islamic position on abortion. So the Islamic position, to put it very simply, is basically twofold. It's either most scholars agree that it can be done with specific reason, uh, with legitimate reason, up to 40 days, and some scholars extend that extend that to 120 days. Um, and there are various other um, issues to be accounted for, but I'll, I'll let you guys read that for yourself. So that's valuable to note. I think one of the mistakes that's made, however, when Muslims talk about the so-called nuance over the abortion issue in Islam is that we neglect to realize the context that we're living in. If you live in a society that promotes family values, where people don't have sex before marriage, where people have children in wedlock, where people would only consider abortions for extreme cases, then it makes sense to have a conversation about the nuance of um, abortion in American society. But when you live in a society in which that's not the case, in which most of the people who are seeking abortions are seeking to do so after participating in zina, where many of the reasons people cite are not medical reasons, but or rape, which again we'll get to, but it is financial, it is inconvenient in some way in their life, they already have too many children, or they're in school, or they're, they're going on a certain career path that, that a child, having a child would be inconvenient for them. So, so I think it's important to recognize who we're talking to. It matters what you say to who. I, I have a podcast episode on considering your audience. I don't know if it'll be published before or after this. But it matters who you're talking to and what context you are talking in. There is no nuance, as far as I am aware, there is no nuance opinion about whether you can kill your child if you feel you don't have enough money. Alessi Parandella actually specifically says, do not kill your child out of fear of poverty. And 40% of women, according to the data I was able to get, and it's actually really difficult to get, um, it's difficult to get recent numbers on the reasons women have abortions. I found an article that was relatively recent from, I think, it was pretty recent, from a couple years ago, but they didn't cite their data, like where their data is coming from. Um, I don't know if they just did a poll, I'm not really sure, but the actual data that I looked at from um, a research institute was from 1989, right? So this is 
pretty old, unfortunately. But at least it does give us some insight into why women have abortions. Because we really, you know, if we don't ask, we don't know. <laughs> we really don't know. Um, but these were the reasons cited. So, most of the reasons, according to the data, that women have abortions would not be Islamically legitimate. So, I don't believe that it's right or fair to insist upon telling people that our position is nuanced in an attempt to align ourselves with a particular party or a particular way of thinking. Now, I suppose one could say, well, the same is true with not aligning with the pro-life movement because Islam is not exactly aligned with them either. And while that is somewhat fair to say, the pro-life movement, at least in principle, is more aligned with the Islamic position. It's interesting because some may say, well, the pro-life position and the pro-choice position, those are two extremes, and Islam is in the middle. But I would actually say that Islam, and Allahu alam for, for everything I'm, I'm about to say, this is my opinion based on the knowledge that I have at this point. So, it would be more accurate to say that Islam just has a different framework completely. Because even the idea of abortion being a women's right, is that how Islam frames it? And then if it was truly a woman's right, well, then it wouldn't be restricted. I mean, presumably, if in principle, this is a woman's right to do, to kill her unborn child, well, why stop it at 120 days? Why not let her do it whenever? Um, so I think... It, the idea that it's a woman's right is is not really aligned with Islam. The idea of my body, my choice is obviously not aligned with Islam. Um, it's not something that we believe. We don't believe that we just have full body, bodily autonomy. Um, and I want to talk about, I think I want to talk about that in like some kind of webinar or something, inshallah, because I think this idea of bodily autonomy is actually really dangerous and it's leading to a lot of evil in our society and abortion is just one. Another point I want to mention before I forget is it was interesting. I was listening to a conservative, as I mentioned to you all in the last podcast. I've been a lot more open to listening to conservatives probably for the past couple of years now. Um, I listened to both because I think that mainstream media in general, tend to be more liberal-leaning, progressive-leaning. Though, honestly, most <laughs> it's it's an ironic sort of thing because most media is actually not that left on a lot of issues. You're not going to see most media promoting universal health care, for instance, right? When Bernie was running, the media was not kind to him at all. So most media is actually not to the left in in that extreme, so to speak, especially on particular issues. Um, but the sort of progressive liberal leaning that that's most of our media, um, and that's probably most of what, what I consume, the Atlantic, the New York Times is kind of my default um, 
default publications that I read. But when it comes to certain issues, I just know I'm not going to get the full picture. And particularly with this issue, I had to go to conservatives. So just so I could have um, a mutual celebratory experience via the internet uh, with people who are also happy that we have done something, right? Because this this is not a total win. It may not lower the number of abortions at all, right? But in principle, it says something. It says something to people. Um, and I think there's some value in that. For 50 or so years, we've taken it as a default that having an abortion is a right. And so to say, well, no, it's not a right, at least not nationwide. It, it is valuable. It does change the conversation, but it's not, you know, whether it will lower the number of abortions, who knows. But I was watching this conservative um, talk about the, the overturn, overturning of Roe v. Wade, and he said something that I thought was so powerful and so valuable. He said that people who are pro-life are often met with suspicion that they have to have some kind of angle, the the usual angle that they will um, throw upon us, so to speak. It's harder to throw upon someone like me who's a woman, right? (laughs) It's easier to throw upon men. So, of course, one of the things that they'll say to both men men or women is, um, you know, you can't, what is it? You can't uh, force your religion on, on other people. So that that's one thing. Okay, But usually they'll say you're trying to control women's bodies. Um, but besides for that, there isn't much else that can be said. Because what he mentioned, and I thought was just really valuable. The people who are pro-life have nothing to gain from being pro-life. There's nothing, there's nothing concrete. I don't gain anything concretely when a woman decides to have her child instead of aborting it. It doesn't do anything for me. But it's a moral issue. It's an issue of principle. It's an issue of ethics. It's an issue of what is right and what is wrong. It's an issue of care and caring for other people. But do we, anyone who's who's pro-life, who wants to see less abortions, do we gain anything by attempting to stand up for unborn children, by wanting more women to, I wouldn't even say have their children, because to me, it's, it's the whole scenario is a problem. I want more women to not be in situations where they want to have an abortion. I want more women to not, have sex with men that they don't want to be the father of their children. I want more men and women to not have sex outside of marriage, right? So for me, it's not just about not killing a child. We want to start from honor your own body first and foremost so that you're not sleeping with people that you would never want to be the father of your of your child or vice versa. For a man, the mother of his child people that you don't trust, that you don't love, that you're not in a committed relationship. Like, we want to start there. But if you do get pregnant, 
we also want to see less abortion. We want to eliminate the entire situation is the entire scenario is a problem. But we have nothing to personally gain. When someone gets an abortion, you have to pay for an abortion, whether you pay out of pocket or health insurance covers it. So money is going to places like Planned Parenthood or just the medical industry in general, the people who make the abortion pills, the people who perform the abortions, the abortion technology. And I have to, someone sent me a message about the way abortions are performed and that no one wants to talk about that. And I may do a little more research on that. I think it's going to spawn a lot. Like sometimes the issues that I'm interested in are just so uh they're a little gruesome. They're they're a bit um they're a bit overwhelming. So there's a part of me that, as I was talking about in the trans transgender um episode, that I really couldn't make it through that man talking about his his surgery. It was just it was so traumatic. I can almost guarantee that reading through what actually happens when a woman gets an abortion um, is going to be traumatic. I know a very, very small bit about um, how it's done, but I think reading in details will will be far worse. Um, but there are so many people who stand to gain from women having abortions. Sure, you can say, well, the woman herself, because she doesn't have to be responsible for her child. Okay. The man who doesn't have to be responsible for his child. The medical industry from the tools that are used for abortion, the abortion pills, the doctors who perform abortions. All of these people stand to, quote unquote, lose. Lose money lose their bodily autonomy, lose the ability to be irresponsible. But what do we what do we lose those of us who are pro-life? On either side, it's and this is the interesting thing because there is this idea, well why do you care? Uh, this is women's bodies but this is also part of the problem, this individualistic society to the point where we're telling people, we're being told, you shouldn't care about the life of innocent children. But then these same people, when there's a school shooting, they'll say, well, what's wrong with the Republicans, for instance? Why don't they get rid of the guns or have more gun control? Why don't they care about children? So it's very, it's an interesting kind of, we live in interesting times um, because the same people who would not care about a child even up to the point right before they are um, brought into this world are suddenly the most sympathetic if that, once that child is out of the womb. And I know some people say, well, on the right, they care about the child in the womb until they get out of the womb. So fair enough that that exists, that irony kind of, or perhaps hypocrisy, whatever you want to call it, kind of exists on both sides. Um, But looking at just this issue alone, there's no one that's going to profit 
from women not having abortions. A lot of people stand to gain or and have gained for the past 50 years from women having abortions. The only ones, the only win from women not having abortions or it being less accessible that may allow for less abortions, the only win is the win of ethics and morality and principles and faith and perhaps saving the life of children. But we can't even really say saving the life of children yet because this is not a total ban on abortion and the culture hasn't changed. Because in all honesty, as I said years back, I shared this post recently from 2016 that I wrote on the abortion issue. In all honesty, um, what is more, what I believe is more important is for there to be a cultural change. I really don't know that overturning Roe v. Wade is going to lead to less abortions. I, I don't know. Unfortunately, you already have feminists talking about we need to have safe havens and planning travel to states where people can have abortions. So it it might only make things worse. Maybe there will be some people who have abortions to prove a point. I would I would hope not, but you never know. So I can't say that this is actually a win for the un it's a win for the unborn in principle. But will they actually be able to live more often? And I, and again, I because for me, I don't even like really focusing on the point of children living. Yes, once a woman is pregnant with a child, I believe that child should be able to live, which <laughs> like that shouldn't be a debatable point, but unfortunately it is. Um, but to me, that that's almost less important than not ending up in a situation where you would consider abortion. Because no one really, no one wants a child to be born into a situation where they are hated and unloved and don't have two parents in the home, etc. Nobody wants that. But if you're pregnant and that's the situation you're in, it's not fair to say, well, I'm going to kill my child because this is not going to be a great situation for them. Right. So I think and I don't know if conservatives do that enough. Um, I certainly don't think Republicans do because Republicans, you know, some people may just say, well, Republicans are just trying to pander to these particular groups. Whether that's true or not, um, I mean, of course, it's true to some extent, right? If if being pro-life wouldn't get someone any votes at all, I highly doubt they would say they were pro-life even if they were. But when you say that something is pandering, that means that there is a group of people who deeply believe in that issue so that honing in on that issue would work to get them to vote for that particular person. So there are many people who value life and who believe there's some people who believe life begins at conception and so all abortion is bad. Um, And there are other people who take issue with 
the direction that liberals, left, Democrats were going in, where there there were beginning conversations of afterbirth abortion, which is infanticide. But there were conversations about, well, a couple hours, a couple minutes after, a couple hours after, would it be okay to abort a child? Um, of course, we already had conversations for a while about, well, what about at eight months? What about at nine months? And a lot of Democrats refused to have a hard line on that. And I think that also, um, I wrote an essay about this, about the permissibility of abortion, the the liberal uh, access to abortion is becoming so extreme that I think people are actually going to end up moving to the other side of being more pro-life. Because, Allahu alam, but I don't know how many people, even if they are pro-choice, would think that aborting a baby at eight months is okay. Even, sorry, six months, seven months, eight months, nine months. What about, what, what about right after birth? I think you start losing people the further along you get because people recognize that, no, at that point, we rec- we we at least socially would say that pr- that woman is pregnant she is with child and there's always a thing of well when someone's happy about having a child we all have no problem <laughs> celebrating it and considering whether the woman is a few weeks pregnant or a few months pregnant we consider it a baby as long as she's happy about the baby it would insulting. It would be insulting to say to her, "Oh, it's just a lump of cells." So let's come to the this issue of rape that's always um, thrown out. And honestly, I was surprised to hear it recently because I think that bringing up rape as a reason to have abortion is actually a bit outdated. I don't really hear people using that liberals progressive I don't really hear them using that talking point their talking point these days is more about bodily autonomy and women's rights more so than rape and rape is a very interesting um it's a very interesting cause to to sort of throw out there as well what about it's sort of the last the last straw that they had but it's interesting because it and i guess now that i think about it i suppose it's not surprising that people don't talk about that as much now that they really focus and hone in on women's rights and women's empowerment and women's bodily autonomy because it's hard to do both when you're talking about rape you're talking about being a victim we're talking about women's body and autonomy and empowerment while well, you're talking about power. So then the the left has to decide on the abortion issue. Do we want to present women as empowered and so they should have the right over their body to the point that now the baby is solely a part of their body, their body, their choice. They don't they don't even emphasize having a right over the baby's body. They don't say, well, it's my baby and my body and I can do what I want with it. They say, my body, my choice. So they completely negate 
any sort of autonomy of the baby, which, you know, I get that a baby's in a woman's body, so it's not fully autonomous. Um, but they almost completely negate the baby, the, the personhood of the baby, the life of the baby, whatever you want to call it. And they focus on my body, my choice. I should be allowed to do what I want with my body. That's that's the common talking point these days. When I was younger, a few years ago, yes, rape would be brought up and it would be thrown out there as a gotcha for for Republicans. But it's hard to do both simultaneously. It's hard to say women are empowered and have complete control over their body. And then to also present women as being completely not empowered and having no control over their body. Which one do you want to use as your case for why women should have abortion? So they've been more so siding on the point of women's empowerment and women's bodily autonomy, etc. But I heard someone mention the the rape aspect. And first we should say that rape accounts for 1% of all the people who seek abortions. But more than that, is that we have to, I spoke about this in my article from 2016. There is an issue here of what constitutes life, what constitutes a life worth preserving, honoring, whose life is not worthy of being honored, whose life is or isn't sacred. That is sort of the meat of the discussion that I don't feel like I necessarily hear people talk about enough. So if a woman is a victim of rape and then gets pregnant um, due to that due to that um, happening is the life of the child not sacred, not valuable because of how it came into being. Because someone who says, well, what about rape victims? is essentially saying that the child created out of this horrific circumstance is not worthy of life. Their life isn't sacred. Their life, their life is not worthy of being honored and protected. And if we if we try to connect the dots, because they don't really connect the dots, we're just supposed to get it. If a woman is raped, she should be able to get an abortion, is the argument. But they don't really connect the dots for us. So we we have to really think about this. Is that suggesting that the child created from this horrific circumstance that the child's life is not valuable, is not sacred, is not worthy of being protected because of the circumstance in which they were created? Is that what's being suggested? Now, Islam allows for abortion in certain circumstances 
up to 40 days, according to most scholars, up to 100, but absolutely up to 120 days is the maximum. And this is valuable because I, you, no individual, especially an individual that doesn't know the person, should be able to decide for all people, well, this circumstance is good enough, but this one isn't. Someone needs to go to a particular sheikh, particular medical doctor, their family members, and have that conversation. It's not for me to decide. So I'm not suggesting that if a woman is raped, she should have the child. But what I'm questioning is what is the argument being made when people throw that out as sort of the last straw to say, well, really... essentially they're saying surely a child surely you agree a child should be killed if they are a product of rape or incest is are we all in mutual agreement about that and there are some women who there are some women who choose to have the child that is the product of rape and molestation. So if by principle pre- people are saying that a child who is a product of rape and molestation, their life is not sacred, does that remain true if a woman does decide to have the child? I just want people to think through that argument. What is being suggested? So between the two extremes, if the Republicans had it their way, at their extreme, there would be a complete abortion ban. If the liberals had it their way, at their extreme, there would be infanticide. If those are the two choices, and I'm not saying they are, because alhamdulillah, we're we're not quite at that point yet, though we're, we're inching there. But if those are the two choices, which one is more halal? Because if we lived in a society where abortion was completely banned, then you could go to Mexico, you could go to Canada, and if you had a legitimate reason to get an abortion, you could do, or let's, let's, if we're just talking about American women in general, they would still be able to get an abortion. They'd have to go to Mexico or Canada. Right, so that that's the worst possible outcome of um, completely banning abortions. And yes, some people may have abortions illegally. That, that's pretty bad as well. On the extreme end with the liberals, babies will be born alive and killed. Now, when will they decide? And if you think I'm making this up, if you don't believe me, research after birth abortion. These are real arguments being made. Look at the different states. Eight there, are, I think it was New York. I can't remember. Allowing for abortions at eight months. But at the extreme end, what some are pushing for is infanticide. So we're talking about the extremes, right? Because on the extreme end are the Republicans who say 
no reason at all. We don't care medical, rape, we don't care. No reason whatsoever, no abortions. At the extreme end on the liberals, after birth abortion, you have birth, whatever they decide, a couple hours, a couple days, you could still kill the child. Which one of these scenarios creates more haram? A society in which living, now we can't even argue about is is this a living person? Well, that is the argument they're making. But a society in which children are born and they're still subject to die? Or a society in which the laws are so restrictive that women either have to have abortions illegally or go to another country? Which one is, neither is an Islamic ideal, but which one is a little closer? No one can kill their baby or people can kill their babies even even outside of a womb. Which one is more aligned? I'll let you decide that for yourself. Uh, The last thing I want to mention and that I think is really valuable to remember, I wrote this on uh, Instagram a couple weeks ago and it's in my highlights if you want to read it. I think it's very important that we reject the idea that in order for children, excuse me, that in order for women to live, children must die. Because that's what's been pushed on us for the past few decades. In order for women to live, children must die. And I don't just mean medically. Medically, mental health, career success, etc. If women want to live and thrive and have lives that are as equal to men then children must die. They must be given permission to have abortions in order to fully live all of the promises of 21st century America. That is the lie that we've been sold. And sadly, in some ways, I can't really say a lie because it is, it's the world that we have created. The last thing I'll, I'll um, wrap up with to show that this is just one idea of the world and it is not the ultimate reality. It is not truth. It is just one idea that we have been sold and bought into. Is the example of a woman, um, Rachel Zoe. I used to follow her years ago. She was like a fashion mogul type person. She was a really big deal as a stylist years and years ago. Um, But I was reading an article about by her a couple years back and she talked about how there was a point in her company where a couple of her employees were all pregnant at the same time and so she decided to build a daycare in her company and for her it just made sense this was just the obvious thing to do. You know, there's there's talk sometimes about women in leadership and women need to be in this position, that position. I can only truly care about women being in these various positions of power 
if they're able to bring their full selves. And by that I mean, I mean, honestly, this shouldn't just be a woman's thing, but it more obviously would be something that women should recognize. You are a female employer. The women at your company, she has a relatively small company, um, they're a couple are pregnant they're having children instead of ignoring that instead of asking well when are you getting back to work instead of giving them uh, a general sick paid leave instead of acknowledging that they are a mother and coming up with something specifically for mothers instead of letting them worry about daycare themselves and that's their problem instead of um not acknowledging their full person as women who most of us are going to have children at some point in our life. Embracing that. Oh, my employee, these, my employees are having children now. Great. Let's set up a daycare. That's like, when I read that, it, it almost makes me emotional sometimes because this to me is one of the most beautiful examples of what it would look like for women's leadership. There were more women in leadership that actually led like women. And you know, that's not the best way to put it, but I guess what I mean by that is you can be a woman in leadership and just mimic the behavior of men, right? There was years ago, there was this article that came out about um, at least the Yahoo CEO at the time, who was, I think, one of the first women to something, um, or maybe the few women to be in, in this uh, position as CEO for one, over one of these huge companies. But there was a story about how she would sleep under her desk, like she was just, you know, she worked so hard or whatever. Um, and that's great for her. But... <laughs> Most women, and this is just a data point, this is not a stereo, this is a data point. Most women seek work-life balance. So, great, she's, I'm not saying women have to particularly anything. You, you, she, if she's a good boss, great. But am I going to root for her if she is just a woman who's going to lead just like men usually lead? No. What's what is what am I gaining from that? Just representation. I think I've learned a bit after being very uh, enthusiastic years ago about voting for Obama. I think I've learned the the power, yes, but also the limitations of just having representation. I think it it's nice, but it it doesn't really do much for you. So we need a shift in thinking. The idea has been that in order for women to live, children must die. In order for women to thrive in the 21st century, they need access to abortion. That's just an idea. Because what we could do is mimic what, what someone like, what Rachel's, uh, I think, Rachel Zoe, I think her name is Rachel Zoe, is mimic what she did. She didn't make her workers choose. 
She didn't say, hey, when are you getting back to work? And ignore the fact that they had this life-changing experience. She didn't deny their full personhood as women. She embraced it. And we can do that in our society. We don't have to believe this lie that in order for women to live, children must die. That in order for women to thrive, they need access to abortion. In order for women to thrive, we need to create a society that fully embraces a woman's full personhood. So I I agree with people who say that you can't just care about the baby and not care about the woman. I absolutely agree. We want the personhood of the baby to be acknowledged and accepted and brought forth into this world and thrive. And we want the full personhood of women to be acknowledged and accepted and, and be able to thrive in this world. We want both. We need both. So anyway, I'll end there. And uh, don't forget to check out my Substack newsletter where you can get a free or paid subscription and you'll get access to my writing straight in your email. That is N-U-R-I-D-D-E-E-N-K-N-I-G-H-T dot substack dot com. It's a great way to support our work. And be sure to check out the blog by the fig and the olive dot com as well as our Instagram at Nerdy Night. That is N-U-R-I-D-D-E-E-N-K-N-I-G-H-T. And take care.